Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is sure. Yeshua never spoke an idle word. There was never something that wasn't of great importance that he said. I pray we will tune in this morning to his words, to, to understand who he was speaking to and why he said what he said, that we might glean from that experience, but more so may we hear from him ourselves this morning. May he speak to us at our point of need and give us the solution to the problems that we're facing. I thank you we can turn to you and you have the answers to every problem there is. We just pray for Larry and Fran that they would have a safe flight back, restful, that they wouldn't worry about what's going on, and they, they would enjoy and give them divine appointments in this special time, this unexpected time. And we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Well, it was interesting. Uh, I, I normally wouldn't have picked this particular passage, and the reason is, how many sermons have you heard on the prodigal son in, in your life, right? Lots and lots and lots. But the Lord <laughs> took me right, right to that. And then, then uh, I, I yell at it. Starts putting the pressure on me. I got to have the, the, the title and the text. And I'm thinking, okay. So I was praying really hard. And the Lord, he, that's what he said to do. So I think there's something deeper than what lies on the surface. And I, I really feel that this is the greatest story ever told. All right. It's actually the entire gospel in, a, in an illustration in, in a capsule <clears throat> that pictures the heart of God and part of our hearts. So let's see. What, let's see. The first part, the intro to the intro, there was two groups of people. And uh, we, <laughs> okay, Luke 15. And all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. That's not a bad thing. That's right where you want them. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives, by the way, that word um, means welcomes, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So we have two groups. We have people who uh, don't have the, the most righteous life, and we have the supposedly ones that know better, and they're the complainers. We have that today, don't we? We have people who, who complain. No matter what you do, they're going to complain. But you see, that first group is who you want to invite, those who will hear and listen. In my prayer this morning, I prayed you would hear from him. And it doesn't matter what I say, because the Holy Spirit can take the things that come out here and work that around and put it into your heart to where you hear exactly what he wants you to hear. That's my prayer for you today, and for me too. So you have these two groups of people. And today we're going to have a little bit of audience participation, because he did in this one. Look what he says next. Look how this next section begins, which is still the intro. So he spoke to them. He, he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep? All right, now, the audience participation goes like, I believe, you know, he was always talking with his hands, like, like rabbis do, and pointing at people. See if you can picture who he's pointing at in, in these. Uh, this is one story with four parts. But it's only one story. But I think he's looking them right in the eye like this, and he's asking for a, a participation. Who, who among you? You know, and so and it gets better as we go. So who among you, which man among you had, who had, would have a hundred sheep? A lot of shepherds up in the Galilee. If he loses one of them, 
does not, doesn't he not leave the 99 and go out into the wilderness and, and look and, 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 and seek that one who was lost? And he keeps looking until he finds it. How long does he keep looking? You can talk back. Is it a, a half an hour, two hours? One? He doesn't stop till he finds it. Till he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. There's joy. He doesn't punish the sheep. Doesn't yell at it. He rejoices and gives it some love and holds it over his shoulders. And when he comes home, you know, he, he calls together friends and family and neighbors. And he says, rejoice with me. Rejoice with me because I have found my sheep that was lost. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What percent was lost? What? You guys are good. One percent. There's 99 more sheep. It could be dangerous out there. There's wolves. There's lions. There's all kinds of things. You know, and maybe the sheep aren't the smartest animals. It's like, well, maybe you deserve that. You're not. No, no. No. He leaves the 99. 1%. For the sake of 1%, he seeks until he finds. And here's the first part of where you can really have some fun today. The word joy and fun, synonymous. It says, so you can cause this today. This would be a good sermon for Shabbat Shuvah, returning unto the Lord. I say to you, Yeshua said, that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99, see there was 99 sheep and one that went astray, than over 99 just persons that need no repentance. Now, who do you think he's pointing at? Do you realize that when you repent, Yeshua said, he's the authority, that there is joy, there's rejoicing in heaven. When you repent, they're watching. They're wa- we don't know a whole lot of what's going on, but we know that they can see what we're doing. And they re- when you, just you, and just me, nobody, we can cause rejoicing when we make a decision that turns away from sin. Repentance. But I think Yeshua was pointing. He is, there's two groups. The tax collectors and the sinners were in one. And the Pharisees were thinking, yeah, that, that's the that, that's the bet. No. Over one sinner who repents versus 99 sinners who need no repentance. And I think he's pointing at the Pharisees because they were sort of self-righteous. And it was like they may be thinking, well, he's giving them a compliment. Well, uh, maybe that's not a compliment. Because everybody knew that they, in fact, did sin. Now, uh, I was sharing some of these thoughts with a group last night at a Shabbat dinner. No, it was at a a pastor's prayer breakfast yesterday morning. And uh, sometimes we can be guilty of the self-righteous stuff. Be really careful about that. There is none righteous. No, not one, not even one. I recall there was a man a long time ago in the congregation. I was, a, I was just a kid, and it was an evening service, and the subject was repentance. And the pastor said uh, something about that, and somebody said, I'd like to share something. He said, I became a, a, a believer three years ago, and ever since that time, I have not sinned even once. 
And I'm thinking, I want to be like that guy, okay? The pastor was a wise man. And he said to his wife, he said, is that true? She said, no. <laughs> okay, that shut him up. Well, wait a minute. We have shepherds and sheep. The Bible is full of stories about shepherds and sheep. King David was a, was a shepherd. John chapter 10, the good shepherd, the great shepherd. But we, I think we missed some of the point because we see many of our previous teachers and books that we buy interpret the scripture through a European filter or 20th century American filter. We don't know a lot about shepherds and sheep. And when we study things like, uh, well, the, one of the songs was the Psalm 23, the, those, that's, a, that's the greatest piece of literature ever written. Very short, but really, really deep. But when we study sheep, we realize we're studying people. And if you take a look at who, who were the shepherds in Scripture, um, we, all the heroes, for the most part, were shepherds. King David, Moses, and the list goes on. The, the list goes on. But it's not, what's the big deal about one sheep? You have 99 left. Well, now we're going to correct some previous errors in books you may have read recently. Number one, the sheep in the Galilee in Jewish time were not raised for lamb chops. They were not raised for the lamb chops. And the first thing that might come to your mind is, oh, for sacrifice. Unfortunately, no. And why is that? Do you recall when Yeshua turned over the tables of the money changers? Do you know why he did that? Because when you came to the temple with your little lamb that you raised that's, that's without spot or without blemish, and you've taken such good care of that lamb and you've nurtured it, it's been in your home, it's a, it's a part of your family, and you present the lamb for inspection by, by the priest, it fails. It fails. Every single lamb fails. Because the high priest owned the market, and only his sheep pass. So you have to pay extra for pre-authorized uh, sheep. They were ripping off the people. The people were following the right instructions. So even then, they couldn't raise them for sacrifice. Why are they raising other sheep? Well, first of all, it's for the wool, clothing, and the milk. All different uh, milk products. Uh, cheese. I mean, we still, some of my favorite cheeses are from sheep. But better than that... These, you know, we see the sheep coming in at night in number 54, 55, 56. That's not what they did in that time. It would be like, Dad, Wooly is missing. Seriously, they named the sheep. They named the sheep. There was a close relationship. Now, let me ask first audience participation. How many of you have pets? Raise your hand. Raise your pets. Okay. Now, what Yeshua was getting at, the title of this sermon, by the way, is Values. We're looking at values. What is something worth? What's the value of something? And of course, you know where we're going. But Yeshua sets the stage and, and by leaps and bounds gets us to that one son. So, uh, okay, who wants to share about their pet? If you don't uh, say something, I'll pick on somebody. Hands up again. Who has a pet? Who has a pet that they love? Okay. Oh, <laughs> Come on, hands up. Okay, tell us about your pet. What's his name? And what is it? Gracie. Gracie. Cool. Cool. A theological. You said her. Now, that could be any animal in the world. What, what is it? She's a uh, bichon. A bichon. Do you all know what a bichon is? They're little white puffs of fur. <laughs> See? 
and, and they snuggle. I used to have one. And they snuggle. And they get under the covers and go down to your feet and keep your feet warm. And, and, and they have personalities that are amazing. And, and is that right, my shirts? Am I, am I, well, we got pictures. Look at this. All right. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. What's Gracie worth? Part of our family. Well, wait a minute. Part of the family. I mean, you can't put a dollar figure on Gracie? I mean, $20. No? Let me ask you this. How much have you spent in vet bills? No, no, don't, don't, don't go there. <laughs> that, gives a clo- that gives a little bit more realistic figure. My Bajan, see, the problem with purebreds is that they get stuff. And uh, our Bajan kept getting um, a pancreatitis. And just to hook up the IVs, you're talking, we spent a lot of money on that dog. Okay? But it wasn't a dog. What you said was right. It's a part of the family. And you love that animal because you'll take it to the vet. And whatever it costs, you'll have it, you'll have it taken care of because it's, it's a family member. That's what this was like. That's why you leave. You, you keep looking for the one until you find it because it's a part of the family. So there's, there's value beyond description. To, that's the people. You, the, the pets that you love. I mean, I had little dogs as I grew up. I loved those, those animals. They weren't dogs, all right? They were my pets. They were family members. So, with that in mind, there's more joy in heaven over one person who repents, Teshuvah, returning to the Lord, than over all these people who need... How many people don't need to repent? That's what the Pharisees were dealing with. Because it was like, well, there, there are no such people. But it's right... So that was, okay, 1%. So let's look at the next level. He takes it up a big, big notch. <clears throat> Verse 8. Or what woman? By the way, when he said the first time, what, what man among you, shepherd, they were probably people, oh, that's me, me, I have a hundred sheep. Okay, here's another one. This gets a little bit narrower. What woman? Having ten, here we go, specific, ten silver coins. If she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search everywhere fully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace that I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Over one? Do they deserve it? You know the answer to that. Okay, wait a minute. Now we went from 1% to 10%. She had 10 silver coins. I mean, what's the... Okay, wait a minute. Let's say you look and you look and you look and you can't find it. You have nine more, right? Why is this so important? Well, the 10 silver coins in, in, in the Greek, it's the, uh, it's the drachma, which is the same as a denarius in Hebrew and in Latin. It's one day's wage. Well, a day's wage, well, but it's more than that. Young ladies, pay attention to this one. In the days of Yeshua, and that's what he's talking about here, ten months before your wedding day, the love of your life will start giving you a coin, one each month. And he put a little hole in that coin, and he would make for his bride a, a part of the headdress or a necklace that would be worn on the wedding day. It's the equivalent of an engagement ring or even a part of the wedding dress. Let's say like the veil. Now, young ladies who have the love of your life, who are looking forward to that time when you get that special gift, let me tell you something you don't want to say. You don't want to say, 
Oh, oh, by the way, you know that ring you gave me? I lost it. You don't want to say that, all right? Or, you know that family heirloom, that ring that belonged to my great-great-grandmother that I gave to you because I love you? I lost it. No, you'd look for it. You'd look for that one. Because the value is not in a denarius, which is one day's wage. It's the value of something sentimental. Something almost worthless can mean the world to you because of who gave it to you. And, and uh, you have stuff like that, don't you? I do too. I do too. It's a reminder. Even down to some things have a certain scent to them. It reminds you of a person. And it's a part of a memory that's very deep and meaningful. So here we have sentimental value, which goes way deeper than the first one. There's still 10%, though. So, all right. How does she... You bet you would look for that engagement ring, wouldn't you? You bet you, bet you would. And that, that's part two. So he upped the ante in part two. And now we get to the point of the story. <clears throat> Starting in verse 11. Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And by the way, whenever Yeshua says, a certain man, this is a true story. Like the story of the Good Samaritan, there was a certain man. Okay, and usually people in the audience knew who he's talking about. I believe in this case that they were even present for this story. People could turn to them and say, yeah, that, that's what happened. A certain man, not a man, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he, he wants his inheritance early before the father dies. That's, that's the picture being painted. And legally, you could do that back then. You could. You didn't have to, but he could. So he does. So he divided to them both. Both sons got their stuff. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and uh, uh, journeyed to a far country. And there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. That means wasteful living. He spent all the stuff, all the money. He spent, when he had spent all, verse 14. <laughs> Isn't this how it works? When he had spent all, then things did bad. There was a famine in that land. <laughs> and he began to be in want. Well, he went the wrong way, didn't he? Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him in, into the fields to feed swine. What's a good Jewish boy doing feeding the pigs? Hmm. It's the only job he could get. And he's so hungry he wants to eat what they eat. But there, there wasn't enough. And we, he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods. That's the carob pods. Uh, that the swine ate. But there was none. But, very important word, but, when he came to himself, you see, we're getting into the real meat of, the, of this story. And this morning I'm going to be just asking, do you need to come to yourself? Do you need to, this is an awakening, a spiritual awakening. And, and he's sitting there, this good Jewish boy is with the pigs. He's, feed, he's got a job feeding pigs. And I think he's thinking, this is dumb. Do you, need, do you need, are you thinking that right now? What I'm doing right now is really dumb. And it's your own fault. In this case, it's his fault. Usually our dumb things are our fault. We suffer the consequences for stupid things that we do. I've got this great uh, picture. It's a picture of John Wayne. 
in his, you know, sheriff's outfit, so on. It says, <laughs> I got to get, get this one exact. Oh, it says, life is tough, but it's tougher when you're stupid. <laughs> I'm thinking, I need to put that in my counseling office. <laughs> I don't like but that, how true that is. We, we can make bad things really bad. That's the way we do. But he came to himself and said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough to eat? You know, and here I am, in with the pigs. Here's what I'm going to do. He makes a conscious decision. Repentance is a decision. It's not going to just happen. You make the choice. It, it, something happens and you say, I will repent. This is dumb. I'm going to stop sinning. And I'll, I'll do what's right. And it's, it's a concept of total reversal and coming back, in this case, to the arms of a loving father. He came to himself. Verse 18, I will rise and go to my father. He, he reverses his speech. And will say to him, Father, I have sinned. That's the, the admission of sin is the first step in true repentance. You admit it. You don't say, well, you know, I really couldn't help it. Yes, you could. You can help it. I have sinned against heaven and against you. He was right. Against God and my, and my own father. I am, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me like one of your hired servants. That's his speech. He's, he's practicing his speech. So he starts the journey home. You see, it, it's an act of your free will. It doesn't just happen. You don't just get on a bus and say, oh, it's going. No, you decide and you, you aim for home. And this has to do with reconciliation, family reconciliation. Audience participation, if I were to ask you, does anybody need some family reconciliation? I'm not going to do that. But hands would go up. And maybe this is for those that have that need right now. But, but you see, how is it going to get reconciled? It starts with you, not the other people. Okay, it starts with me, not my other, my, not my cousins or my aunts or my uncles. It's me. Okay, verse twenty. Well, his speech that, he, that he's rehearsing. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And as he came, he came to his father. But while he was still a great way off, this is really important. While he was still a great way off, his father saw him. Why did his father see him? Because his father was looking for him. He was watching the road. You who are fathers that have a wayward son know what that feels like. You're watching the road. You're watching the phone. You're watching the mail. Just because I think you know in your heart he's coming home. And there's nothing you can do to make it happen except to pray. But are you watching? I think, I think we, need to, we need to walk the road. Because some of you may have wayward sons or daughters. But I believe they'll be coming back. Because God promises to answer your prayers concerning your, 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 your lost children. We have one. Don't send her this tape. Okay? But I believe that she will return to the Lord just like I believe that some of you have kids that's the very same need. He was a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion on him. And he said, 
when he gets into his father's presence, his speech he's been practicing is, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts him. Doesn't let him give the speech. He says, yeah, 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 yeah. The father said to the servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his, on his hand, sandals on his feet, and he killed a fatted calf. We're going to have a party. Never got to give a speech. The father was concerned not about the speech, but about the fact that the son had come home. You who maybe need to repent need to see that when you come back, Teshuvah, into the arms of a loving father, you're going to be kissed and held and loved. And he's going to throw a party for you. He's not going to say, you, no. No, he could. He could. And notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say this, which is quite common. He could say, well, you know, I can forgive, but I can't forget. Don't do that. Does God forget? Yeah, that's what he said. As far as the east is from the west. Though your sins will be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. When they come home, don't bring up the past. Look to the future. We'll go a long ways. Verse 34. For this my son was dead, and now he's alive. He's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. Isn't that a phenomenal story? The greatest story ever told. And many times people stop right there. That's not the end of the story. The father had two sons. There were two prodigal sons, not one. Sometimes the story is called uh, the story of the loving father because he demonstrates the kind of forgiveness that we can receive when we repent and come into the presence of the Lord. You see, people have a feeling that they're going to be punished. No, you're not. He took your... That's what Passover is all about. He took your punishment. All of it. Every single bit of it. He's not going to punish you. He's standing there like this. And he will welcome you. He's watching the road. He will welcome you into his arms. He will kiss you. He will hold you. Have compassion. Those words are all words from the heart. Nothing intellectual about this. It was a tender, tender moment in time. Wouldn't even let him give a speech. I don't care about that. I cut that you're here. We're going to give you the ring, the robe, the shoes, the party. Let's go to the next part. The brother who's been the good kid is out in the field and he hears a party going on that he wasn't invited to. He said, what's going on? Let's take a look at this. Which, by the way, isn't this interesting? The longest part of this story is about this guy. Now, his older son was out in the field and, and, and when he came, and he drew near, and he heard the, the singing and the dancing, the music and the dancing. So he said to one of the servants, what's going on? And he said to them, your brother has come, and because he has been received by your father, all right, they're throwing him a party. They killed a fatted calf and are throwing a party. But... Remember that important word? He was angry. We all know the right thing to do would be rejoice with your father that your sibling has repented, turned from sin, come home. 
But he's angry. Why, why is he angry? Why is he angry? So I'm going to be asking you in a few minutes, which one of these are you? Are you the son that went away that needs to come back? Are you the son that's angry? Are you the... Which, which one are you? He was angry and would not go in the house. So the father came out. The father came to him. All right, now you have two prodigal sons. He said to his father, Lo, these many years and I have been serving you, I never transgressed you, your commands, at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat. You never threw me a party with my friends. But now, this son of yours, doesn't even call him his brother or his name, the son of yours, when he came, the one, you know, who devoured all your money. He's thinking his money, the inheritance. Okay? Um, and it, it, with this, this terrible living with prostitutes and wasteful living. For him, you killed a fatted calf. And the father said to him, Son, well, wait a minute. Before we get there, I, I have the video of this. And we're missing the voice inflections. Okay, it goes something like this. It goes something like, something like this. Now here's, the, here's the good son. Stayed at home. Did everything he was supposed to do. Didn't rebel. Anybody here like, like that? Didn't rebel in high school? Never got put in jail? Never got drunk? Never smoked anything? You're a good kid, right? So here's, what, here's how the story really goes. He was angry. He said, why, why are you angry? Well, you, you never gave me a party with my friends. You didn't give me a ring. I was wearing a ring like that. And you didn't give me, I never got a robe. And I never did anything bad or wrong. And you, he's a crybaby. That's how it really sounded. This son of yours. You mean your brother. Yeah. You see, when they divided up the inheritance, the older brother, this, this guy, got two-thirds. The younger brother got one-third. He got double the amount. All right? So he was paid off. But with the father, he's still alive. When the father dies, what is left is divided again. He's looking at the stuff. He's looking at the stuff. <laughs> Some children look at their parents' stuff. And they think it's going to be their stuff. I love the bumper sticker that says, I'm spending my children's inheritance <laughs> on the back of the motorhome. It's your money. Re retired people, that's your money. You worked hard for it. Have fun. Enjoy life. Celebrate life. And then look, look what he says next. Verse 31. Uh, uh, yeah, 31. He said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. But it was right that we should make merry and have, have a party and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And that's where Yeshua ends the story. I think looking right at the Pharisees, the complainers, 
Because you have people that complain when someone repents. Have you ever seen that? They're hoping they get in worse trouble. Believers. They pass judgment on people. It makes them feel better for some reason that someone they know is going the wrong way. I don't know why that works like that. The most important part of the story kind of goes like this. When he was whining and complaining, I never got the robe and I never got, you never killed the calf for me and I didn't get the ring or the new jacket or anything. You know, he, my brother does not deserve all that stuff. That's the point. He's right. The brother doesn't deserve any of it. Do you know what that's called? That's, yes, that is called grace. God gives to you what he gives by grace. You don't deserve it. You, you don't want what you deserve. You do not want that. You don't want him to be fair and just in his judgment with you. The fair and just part comes when Yeshua takes your penalty. That isn't fair, but that's the way it is. He offers that. He offers that to you. That's why it's such a great deal. He does all the stuff. You receive the stuff by faith, and, and you receive all the love. And what, what did that one brother do to get all that? He repented. He came home into the arms of a loving father. And he, he got all this stuff. He didn't deserve any of it. What we get, we get by grace through faith. If we think we deserve it, we, we change camps and move over to, uh, to, to the Pharisees' side. Don't do that. Don't do that. I like that part where you have the sinners and tax collectors getting in close to listen to him. That's what pleases him. That's what pleases him. Now, when the younger brother took his part of the money and took off, went to a far country, even when he was feeding pigs, at what point was he no longer his father's son? Oh, you mean he was his father's son when he was with the pigs? Yeah, he was. Didn't change his DNA. All we had to change in was behavior. He was still his father's son. And that's why that father could look down the road, expectantly thinking in his heart, someday I'm going to see my son, and he's going to come home. Now, for those of you that have a lost son or a lost daughter, I would like to just challenge you gently to make up your mind now how you will act when they come home. Because that will set the stage for the entire future. I pray it will be like, like this. Because this is how he acts when we repent. And he calls us to do the same thing. We, we are to be imitators of him. Uh, we're ambassadors of Messiah. Paul uses that term. We represent him. We are to do what he does. Act like, live like he lived. Act like he acts. He, he said about believers, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to say all kinds of evil against you falsely. You're going to make it up. It's not even true. But he said, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Be glad over that. Yeah, it's not true. They lie about you and me. But rejoice. And all the verses about repentance and coming home are wrapped up in this one single story, which is a picture of the entire gospel. That he's, if you need to repent, he's waiting for you with arms wide open. He wants to hold you and kiss you and share his, and say, welcome home. And he will not say, I can, I can forgive, but I can't forget. 
It's like it never happened. Your speech will be interrupted because your actions prove your heart. You came home. You came home. And I would pray as well that if you have that child that needs to come home, that you do everything you can to make it a gentle homecoming. Don't, don't punish them. Don't, you know, do you know how much that hurt your father? Don't go there. Okay? Welcome them. If I were to ask how many of you have a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, you might be surprised how many in this room do. I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but I know some of you do. And maybe it's you. Maybe you have a broken relationship with your parents, your siblings. They're not going to fix it. What would Yeshua do? He would fix it. Maybe you need to make a call today or a visit today or a letter today saying, you know, I don't remember even whose fault all this was, but let's get over it and let's get on with the future. I want to be your son or your daughter and be able to come to your house and love you and see the grandkids and the great-grandkids. Those are important calls because you don't know how long they have. You know, as we move into this time of the year, I'm not a prophet, and you who know me know that, but usually at, at, at a Seder, at Yom Kippur, I will say, look around the room, because statistically we will probably lose one or two people that are here this coming year. And maybe the conversation you have for coffee after this service could be your last with them. So if there's something wrong, fix it. He will bless that. But I'm going to pray now that if you have a lost son or a lost daughter, that they will be prompted by the Holy Spirit to come home. And you plan how you're going to welcome them. Our God and God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, I pray, Lord, as there are people in this room as we speak who are lifting up their son and their daughter to you because they love them so much, but they're, that son or that daughter is out of fellowship with you and out of fellowship with the other parts of the family. Lord, I pray that you would do whatever it takes to bring them home whether it's meeting another person of some sort or a challenge to repent or even a song that they hear, that they would be prompted as this product that he would come to himself, the lights go on, and say, this is dumb. I'm going to go home. Lord, and I pray that as we watch that road, that we would anticipate that homecoming would be one of hugging and kissing and holding and forget the past and let's look to the future. Lord, I pray that if we're that other brother who we just assume the people didn't come back, I pray you would forgive us for that sin. Lord, your desire is that all come to repentance. And if that means me today or somebody in this room, I pray we would be prompted to return to you into the arms of a loving Father. Lord, I thank you that it was this speaking about love that silenced the critics in Yeshua's time. It wasn't some other commandment. It was simply doing the Shema. Love God with all you are and your neighbor as yourself, and you'll take care of the rest. Lord, we sing the Shema. We pray the Shema. I pray we would do the Shema, and that we would love you first and foremost, and then love our family and love our neighbors. But above all, I pray we would be people of love. And as we're ambassadors of Messiah, Lord, that we would represent him well. And nobody, I cannot find a verse that says it's easy. It's just not there. 
some of the most, it's, it's difficult to face family issues. Lord, help us to get over that and face them and fix them and bring healing. And Lord, I pray that when that begins, that those that came back would share how surprised they are because of the immense amount of love they received, which is only a picture of what you give to us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. May we be people of love and of grace.